other tone, 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 tone. This is a true story. Drapetomaniacs uses dramatizations, primary sources, and the research of black historians to depict real events and historical figures. Today's episode stars Malcolm Jamal Warner, Tiffany Cross, and Olaranki Akinmowa. Like most black men who reach the age where they have to start wearing linen outfits, I love westerns. I've seen them all, from Gunsmoke to Unforgiven. I've watched countless white men portray real-life black people and aid in the whitewashing of American history. Newsflash, the West wasn't just wild, it was, and still is, black as fuck. All the shade to Texas, but nowhere is the blackity black West more vibrant than Oklahoma. But how did Oklahoma get so black? Oklahoma sits right above Texas. There are still a bunch of all black towns in Oklahoma today. One of these towns is Bowley, Oklahoma. I know y'all hear that. There's always something on this podcast. Anyway, Bowley was established in 1908. Yeah, I better answer this. Hello? Hello, is this Michael Harriet of the Drapedomaniacs podcast? Yes. This is the mainline switchboard. You have an incoming call from T.R. Wrench. T.R. Wrench, the former mayor of Bowley, Oklahoma? Yes, can I connect you? I thought I had to call the mainline. I didn't know the mainline could call me. For when the ancestors have something they want to share, we make sure the download gets to the right person. I get it. You don't want Tyler Perry getting a message that's really meant for Tyler the Creator. Exactly. Can I connect you? Absolutely. Mayor Ringe, I have Michael Harriet on the line. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you. And howdy, Michael. Hello, Mayor Ringe. How have you been? Oh, I can't call it, brother. I'm just trying to get it before the white man come take it. I heard your question about how Oklahoma got so blackety-black, and the short answer is slavery. Back in the day, Oklahoma was what racist white people call Indian territory. To this day, more than 39 indigenous tribes live on reservations in the state. I don't think we say Indian anymore, Mayor Ranch. Racist white people probably still say it. Oh, that's probably true. So, how did we get from indigenous people living in Oklahoma to black people having cities there? Like I said, slavery. Most folks don't know that many of those indigenous people also enslaved black people. And during the Civil War, some of those slave-owning indigenous people actually sided with the Confederacy. So when the Confederacy got beat like a Pentecostal church tambourine, we suddenly found ourselves free to do whatever we wanted. So, of course, the first thing on the agenda was to get away from those enslavers and start our own black towns. But as you know, anytime white people see too many free Negroes in one area, they tend to let us have it. Like the name Jerome. Damn, that's a good point. I think the last white Jerome is Jerry Seinfeld. It's all ours now. So, according to my research, there were a lot of black folks who found their way to Oklahoma during the Great Migration, right? Sure as shooting there was, Michael. Black folks were sick of dealing with things like the Klan, racial massacres, and the smell of wet dog after rainstorms. So we packed up our guns, put on our spurs, headed out west, and became black cowboys. But I'm sure you learned all of this in elementary school, right? Well, you be surprised. Son, I've heard a white man say that wanting freedom is a mental illness, so ain't nothing they can do that surprises me. I know how they get down. 
Which is why so many of us packed up our things and moseyed on over to Oklahoma. I was born in bondage in Kentucky, but in Oklahoma, I was the mayor of my own town. I was moving on up like the Jeffersons. Besides, this was the closest any of us were getting to the reparations old Abraham Lincoln promised us. Abraham Lincoln had promised to fulfill General William Sherman's special field order number 15 to give former slaves 40 acres and a mule after the Civil War. That promise might as well have been written by Sherman Hemsley, because you know what happened on April 15, 1865. The day President Lincoln was assassinated. Who knows whether or not he would have actually fulfilled this promise if he had lived on. He damn sure wasn't going to do it dead. The closest thing we got to reparations was when George and Wheezy got that deluxe apartment in the sky. Yeah, well, don't forget about the Huxtables. Anyway, most of us figured reparations was a pipe dream. But even before emancipation, who do you think herded the livestock and worked the land? We were the original cowboys. We were used to getting it out of the mud. Literally. White folks had been stealing our physical and intellectual labor for 250 years, so we built a self-sufficient community, and white folks showed up trying to take that. Besides freedom, self-determination, and the right to control our own lives, we had but one wish. Sorry, your call has been disconnected. I'm Hall of Fame race card player Michael Harriet, and this is Drapetomaniacs, the unshackled history of a bank robbery, a Wild West shootout, and the thriving black town of Bowley, Oklahoma, the place that wished a motherfucker would. You know how we said some indigenous people owned slaves? Well, one of those slave-owning groups was the Muscogee Creek Confederacy, who were displaced by the Indian Removal Act. After their side lost in the Civil War, the Muscogee had to renegotiate their treaty with the United States and agree to free the black people they had enslaved and put them on the tribe's membership rolls. The emancipated enslaved people were known as Creek freedmen, and since they were considered full members of the tribe, they received land and annuity payments just like all the other members of the Muscogee Nation did. It was like the post-Civil War equivalent of actually getting the shoes you want on the sneakers app. All around the country, newly freed black folks heard about this and saw an opportunity. They were going to start their own black state. And these so-called exodusters had a plan. They were going to form small, all-black towns all around Oklahoma, elect their own officials, and then petition Congress for statehood. Just another example of the ingenuity of our people. But it wasn't just a crazy pie-in-the-sky dream like Cornell West's presidential campaign or the Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole album. In 1866, congressional Republicans began debating the map for the territory of Lincoln. This was the first step in the statehood process for a state where elected officials and voters would be limited to, quote, American citizens of African descent. The 1866 black group chat wouldn't be this excited about politics until the Cash Money Records administration of the 9-9 and 2000s. Yo, there's a new town in Oklahoma with mad free land. Black folks only. Pull up. Mm, who are going to be there? I know who won't be there. White folks. Say less. Let's see what Bowley's giving. Yo. They got their own bank, drugstore, and school. Wait, is this the place with the black woman mayor? I thought it was all cap. 
on my way. I'm already in the carriage, fam. Abigail Barnett McCormick, Boley's first mayor, inherited the land where Boley was founded from her grandfather, who was a Creek freedman. She began inviting black folks to come settle on her property, which was right along a planned railroad route by the Fort Smith and Western Railroad. Of course, the railroad company thought putting a station there was a terrible idea because it refused to believe black folks could run a functioning town on their own. That's right, before taxis refused to stop for black folks, locomotives were out here being racist too. And you wonder why black folks are always late to stuff. But even though the little engines that couldn't stop being racist didn't want a train stop in the all-black town, they really had no choice. Black folks had already built an infrastructure that surpassed the nearby white towns. So when railroad official J.B. Bowley convinced his bosses that the all-black city was the only logical choice, the railroad named the, quote, Bowley stop after the white railroad official instead of the black people who built the town. We'll continue after this break. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. What if millions of Black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only Black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of Black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. In 1903, Boley Creek Nation Indian Territory was founded. The Oklahoma part wouldn't come until 1907. By then, Boley was a regional hub for black Oklahomans. Boley was also known as the largest and wealthiest exclusive Negro city in the world. The town had four grocery stores, five hotels, seven restaurants, four cotton gins, four drug stores, four department stores, and two insurance companies. And no white people. They even had their own HBCU. But you know, nothing irritates the Caucasian nerve endings like black people flourishing. In 1932, America's deadliest gang set their eyes on Bowley's crown jewel the Farmers and Merchants Bank. The gang of murderers and robbers figured the bank would be an easy target because, you know, white people stay underestimating us. But their gang leader, the notorious Charles Arthur Floyd, knew better. See, Floyd grew up not far from Bowley, and he would attend Bowley's annual black rodeo every year. So he knew the real cowboys. Oh, that's who was in Bowley. People who lived there often had to take matters into their own hands because they couldn't depend on the white man's laws to protect them. And for a criminal like Floyd to be intimidated by the town said a lot. After all, this wasn't just any bank robber. This was the notorious pretty boy Floyd. The same Floyd who was shooting and robbing all over the country and was being hunted by this new organization called 
the FBI. But Floyd's thugs wouldn't listen. So Floyd backed off and let them fuck around because they obviously wanted to find out. On the day of the robbery, there were only two folks working at the bank, the bank president and the bookkeeper. And there were three gangsters, George Birdwell with his pistol, CeCe Patterson with his shotgun, and Charles Glass as the getaway driver. Three against two, easy peasy. What could go wrong? It was like a bootleg Ocean's Eleven. I call it Crackers Three. From Folding Chair Productions, the studio that brought you the Fuck Around and Find Out trilogy, and the director of Wish a Nigga Would Three, comes the story of three white men who picked the wrong town to mess with on November 23rd, 1932. They decided to try that in a small town and caught the Bowley beatdown. The plan is just like them. Simple. Birdwell and Patterson charged into the bank and immediately pointed a pistol at the bank president. This is Sheila Tompkins with Bowley's FAFO News. Now, we're sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled soap operas at Grandma's house, but we do have some breaking news happening right now in downtown Bowley. Let's get to our reporter on the scene, Ruby Jean Lee. Ruby girl, what the hell is going on? This is Ruby Jean Lee with FAFO News. We're reporting live from outside Farmers and Merchants Bank in Bowley, Oklahoma. Those were gunshots you just heard. Evidently, three white thugs had the caucasity to waltz up to our town and try to rob our bank. My savings is in that bank, so I'm personally invested in the outcome. I'm three layaway payments away from getting my baby Christmas presents this year, which is why I'm doing this live report with a six-shooter in one hand and my microphone in the other. Girl, what? Oh, now see, I'm about to take my 15-minute break and head down there with my rifle. You know I got Beyonce concert money in a safety deposit box down there. They better stop playing with me. Girl. But don't take your earrings off just yet, sis. You know DJ Turner's in there, right? There's no way he's about to let these fools run off with our money. They better stop playing. Oh, shit. Man, someone pulled the alarm. Oh, who the hell pulled the alarm? I did. Me, DJ Turner, president of this here bank. And the money of this town is under my protection. If Birdwell and Patterson had been paying attention, they might have noticed that DJ wasn't exactly shook. See, DJ Turner wasn't just the bank president. He was a staple of the community. He was a Bowley OG. He was there since before there was a train stop. This was black people's money, his people's money. And he was not about to let some thieving alabasters take it. So he did what any employee of the month type would do. He pulled the alarm. See, the last dollar in the till was designed to set the alarm off if it was ever taken from the drawer. You got some kind of death wish? You don't think I'll pull this trigger? I ain't got a death wish. <laughs> but the two of y'all's coming in here, smelling like nutty ice and shaking like a leaf, I'm starting to think maybe you got a death wish. You know it's the day before bird season, right? You know what that means? That means every Negro out there is armed to the teeth and ready to shoot a couple chickens such as yourselves. So now this can go down one of two ways. <laughs> you can lay your guns down on the floor and ski-daddle out of town and we can forget this ever happened. Or we can do it the ugly way. The ugly way? In what way is that? 
Well, that way is where you and your nervous-looking friend over there try to take these black dollars by force and rush out of here with all the town's money. I figure if you don't get laid down by my bookkeep, then you'll get put out of your misery by all the town people who would have heard the gunshots and the alarm by now. Go to hell! <laughs> I guess it's the ugly way then. And you know, God don't like ugly. Wait, 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 wait. Did, did you say something about bookkeep? I hope you got right with the Lord, because you're about to meet him. And just then, the bookkeep, H.C. McCormick, busts in the room, and he had that thing with him. Die, you porcelain pillagers. Because the white thugs did a piss poor job of casing the joint, Birdwell didn't know that McCormick, the bookkeeper, was hiding in the back. He had slipped into the vault to grab a rifle, and that's when all hell broke loose, with enough action for a Michael Bay blockbuster. This is Ruby Jean again, still reporting live from the Bully Bank robbery. There's a lot of commotion and money's flying all in the air. One of the white men just ran out of his car into the bank, presumably an accomplice to the robbery. It's pretty easy for us to know who's in on the crime since they are literally the only white folks in the entire town. Normally, when a white person shows up here, it's because they took a left turn at Albuquerque. Girl, Oklahoma is the home to a lot of bank robbing crews. Bank robberies in our state have been on the rise since 1922. But now that the Great Depression has white people down bad, the bank robbers are getting desperate, okay? Especially if they're running up on our black ass dollars. Ruby Jean, girl, you okay? What's happening out there? Yes, Sheila, a small crowd has gathered at the entrance to the bank, drawn by the commotion. Oh, I see someone I know. Hey, Rashida, how you doing, girl? Me? Oh, nothing, just reporting the news. Girl, we live? Oh, how do I look? Is this thing on? I'm ready for my close-up. I seen everything. Girl, how you just gonna take my microphone like that? Well, lucky for everyone, I always carry a spare. First of all, state your name for the people. Girl, stop playing. You know we go way back. Girl, you know this isn't for me. It's for the news. Okay, okay. So my name is Rashida Sparkles. I work down at Cowboy Cabaret, the Black-owned adult dance club down off MLK. Don't forget, it's two for Tuesdays. Our all-male dancer troupe will have dances and clothes half off. Girl, did you just do an advertisement during my news report? Girl, you know Rashida Sparkles don't do anything for free. Girl, can you ask her exactly what time the half-off dances start? Ahem, Rashida, where were you when this broke out? Girl, you ain't gonna believe this. I was in the bank. I was in the bank. Girl, girl. Yes, honey. I was in there making my daily cash deposit because businesses very well at the Cowboy Cabaret, where we don't clap guns, we clap buns. <laughs> Girl, the robbery? Okay, little Miss Hater. So I'm in the bank and I see these two white dudes come in and I immediately acted like I had to go to the bathroom. I could tell they were up to something because they are the only white people in the history of this town to come in that bank. White people don't make deposits, only withdrawals. Girl, I know that's right. Ruby Jean, can you ask Rashida if she saw DJ Turner or McCormick? Like, what did they do? Oh, McCormick was in there, all right. He was asking me for my number. Again, I don't even know why he be playing like that. It's 1932. Ain't but five phone numbers in the old yellow pages. 
and it's just the yellow page right now. I'm the fourth one listed. Girl, stop playing. He the one better stop playing before he end up down at the Cowboy Cabaret, shaking them cheeks for me. But anyway, me and DJ looked each other in the eyes like, girl. And he motioned me towards the back door. And the next thing I know, the white boys were pulling out guns, talking about reach for the sky. Girl. They ain't even know who they were fucking with. Girl, we are still live on the news. Rashida, we can't be cussing. My bad, girl. But look, after I went out the bank, I heard DJ telling them, this wasn't the town to try this in. But they wouldn't listen. I heard some gunshots ring out, and I started running home. I know that's right. You went home to get to safety. Girl, no. I went home to get my blicky. They weren't about to take all my hard-earned coins. I got my pink revolver that I named Lemonade, and I started heading back to the bank. That's when I just saw you, and I said, girl. Well, girl, there you have it. That's the current situation. If you don't mind, I'm going to run up by the door with Lemonade and weed on these white boys to try to make a break for it. Make sure you come down to the Cowboy Cabaret for Two for Tuesdays. We don't clap guns. We clap buns. Ruby Jean, please let Rashida know I will see her tonight. Oh wait, it looks like someone is coming out of the bank. The three white thugs are trying to make it back to the car, but... Oh, they didn't realize this is Bowley, where we keep that thing on us at all times. Oh girl, the three men just took off running. Girl, shoot them! Girl, you know I can't be shooting people live on the news. Uh-uh, girl, we are talking about my Beyonce ticket. Okay, I'm shooting, I'm shooting. I see a lot of town folk running towards the bank. Everyone has opened fire on them, including me, because they are not about to steal a down payment on my house. I did not move all the way from South Carolina to watch white men steal my money. Okay, we got one, and he's down. The getaway car just veered to the left and crashed into a tree. The driver appears to be dead as well. The last robber is surrendering. And that's how we do things here in Bowley. Break yourself, fools. This is Ruby Jean Lee reporting to you live from the bank. Back to you, Sheila. That's my girl. That is my girl. Ooh, I'm going to see Beyonce. I'm going to see Beyonce. Yes, girl. But also, we're still live on the air. <clears throat> yes, well, this is Sheila Tompkins with Bowie's FAFO News, getting you back to your regularly scheduled program of Dallas, In the Heat of the Night, People's Court, or Mama's Family. Whatever your grandmama got on, we're going to get you back to it. We'll continue after this break. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. 
The citizens of Bowley had killed both Birdwell and Glass as they tried to get away. That's street justice. C.C. Patterson was the only one to survive, and only because the sheriff stopped everyone from killing him. McCormick, the bank bookkeeper, was wounded in the shootout, but he also lived. Unfortunately, D.J. Turner, the bank president, didn't make it. But the people of Bowley succeeded in weakening the notorious gang. The only member of the gang left was Pretty Boy Floyd, the one who had warned them about going to Bowley in the first place. And even though he wasn't involved, the Oklahoma State Police still tried to set a trap for Floyd at D.J. Turner's funeral. The police were certain he would show up to avenge his fallen gang members. He wouldn't be much of a gangster if he didn't. This is Sheila Tompkins with Bowley's FAFO News. We once again interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to take you live to DJ Turner's funeral. Ruby Jean Lee, what's the mood like there? Thanks, Sheila. That's right, I'm standing on the steps of the Bowley Church watching citizens of Bowley trickle in to pay their respects to our beloved DJ Turner. Turner was fatally shot last week when a group of absolute fucking idiots attempted to rob our merchant bank. People have been taking turns sharing their song dedications. Jesus, what? And how many people are there today? Well, based on the number of song dedications we've had so far, it feels like the entire town is here. Sheila, all four of our grocery stores are closed. The five hotels are fully booked with folks all the way from Texas, Arkansas, and Mississippi. We're going to need all seven of the restaurants to cater the repass. And there are over 50 undercover officers hoping Pretty Boy Floyd shows up to get his John Wayne on. Now, how do you know there are undercover cops, Ruby Jean? Well, it's pretty up. I mean, oh, the service is about to start. H.C. McCormick, the bank's bookkeeper, is about to speak. Let's listen in. Shh. We are gathered here today to honor the life of D.J. Turner. I know you're probably wondering why 50 white men you've never seen before are just chilling in the back. Ignore them. <clears throat> what can we say about good old D.J.? He was a great boss, a member of the town council, owned a drugstore, and president Well, Sheila, and that coward Floyd never showed up. He knew better, unlike his goons. Thank you, Ruby Jean. This is Sheila Tompkins with Bowley's FAFO News, getting you back to your regularly scheduled program. We will continue our coverage at the end of the funeral in about five hours. DJ is still considered a town hero for preventing a bank robbery that day. Today, you can visit DJ's grave as well as the Farmers and Merchants Bank. The story of the Bowley Bank robbery is the story of America. America is a literal heist. It is a brute force robbery of property, labor, bodies, and lives. And the only way to stave off those attacks is by having a concept of community that is so invested in each other that people are willing to die to protect the interests of their community. That's exactly what the people of Bowley did in that November in 1932. These are the hands of our ancestors that we all aspire to be. Perhaps Booker T. Washington put it best when he said, Bowley, like the other Negro towns that have sprung up in other parts of the country, represents a dawning race consciousness, a wholesome desire to do something to make the race respected. Something which shall demonstrate the right of the Negro, not merely as an individual, but as a race to have a worthy and permanent place in the civilization that the American people are creating. In short, Bowley is another chapter in the long struggle of the Negro for moral, industrial, and political freedom. 
Boley and Tulsa are examples of black people doing the things that people always say that black people need to do. But every time we do it, someone shows up to take it, to steal it, or to burn it down. The Great Depression ruined black towns all across Oklahoma. And the government's remedy for that poverty, the New Deal, wasn't extended to black people. So the railroad company shut down the train that went through town. Farming died down soon after that. And like the rest of those black towns in Oklahoma that didn't get that white money, Boley began to decline. Boley still exists, but it certainly isn't what it used to be. Still mostly black, though. In 2019, the town of Boley pledged to restore the bank with the help of a nonprofit and a grant from the National Park Service. They also plan to do yearly reenactments of the robbery. It's a great way to preserve the history of this moment forever. A history that has been passed down the line, generation after generation, in a simple five word phrase that all black people innately know. Run up, get done up. I'm Michael Harriet, and this has been Dreptomaniacs. On the next episode of Drapetomaniac's Unshackled History, we hear about the black woman who invented rock and roll. Drapetomaniac's is a collaboration between Other Tone, Sony Music Entertainment, and Queer Media. This podcast is produced by Nolika Radway and Moses Shoyola, with senior producer Janicia Francis, managing producer Joanne DeLuna, production coordinator Homero Radway, and production assistant Jillian Roberts Atkinson. Executive producers for this show are Pharrell Williams and Scott Venner. Our writing team includes Roderick Morrow, Danielle Solomon, Dallas Rico, and Randolph Terrence Sturdivant. Our sound engineer is Tony Paulson. Our fact checker is LaPortia Thomas. Music supervisor is Patricia Wangeshi Trihoro. The theme song is Freedom by Pharrell Williams. Special thanks to voice actors Andrea O'Brien Vives, Jason Vives, Blue Radway, Tamil Jones, G-O-Y-X, Roderick Morrow, and Carvel Wallace. The music featured in this episode includes At the Cross by Joy Spring. Read more by Michael Harriet at thegrio.com. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.